All right, we'll start now. So we're on time. Okay, so today uh, we commemorate the feast of uh, St. Michael and all angels. So uh, we will uh, open up with a prayer that reflects that. Let us pray. Everlasting God, you have ordained and constituted in a wonderful order the ministries of angels and mortals. Mercifully grant that as your holy angels always serve and worship you in heaven, so by your appointment they may help and defend us here on earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. Uh, I don't, but there's one at Kirby's chair. Uh, Kirby's. Uh, all right, all right. Um, all right, I have passed out some new material. Uh, we're definitely going to look at the map uh, today, uh, and we might start looking at uh, the session two, the one with the session two. Uh, last week, uh, well, I told uh, Peter to count how many folks are here. He gave me a count, and that's more or less, I made a few more copies today of the numbers that we had last week. So if you don't have one, I apologize. We can get, uh, we can make more copies. Um, last week, uh, we discussed who Peter was and why he might be writing this letter. And then we talked about a couple of words in this letter that come up, especially at the beginning. Um, the words were sojourner, exile. Uh, we even talked a little bit about elect. Um, we didn't finish this uh, the first handout from last week. So I want to look at it again. Uh, we won't spend all of our time on it because there's just a lot of general information in the back and a lot of lines just for notes. Um, but I think if we start at point two B, Peter's interactions with Jesus. If you have your Bible open and you look at, uh, remember this is my little uh, First Peter notebook that I have that I bought a few years ago. That's just First Peter with some lines on it. Um, what's the, well, how does Peter address himself in the first chapter? First line, first verse. What does he say? Apostle. I don't want to spend too much time in apostle, but what does the word mean, apostle? It comes from what Greek? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what Greek verb it comes from. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, but it's, um, I'm not going to say it's common all. I don't want to say that. But an apostle is one who is what? Follow Jesus. That's more of discipule, disciple. But if you're an apostle, that means you have been what? Sent. That's right. An apostle is one who is sent. Okay, now, what are the two requirements of this verb 
Not biblically, just everyday life Lee. To be sent means that someone sent. There has to be somebody sending. Right. Or destination. Right. And then there should be somebody receiving. And I'm not just picking this apart just for picking apart's sake, but this is actually very important for this point here that I did, uh, point 2B. Who is Peter sent by? I mean, this is an easy answer. Jesus, right? So he is, the somebody is Jesus. And who is, uh, who's receiving and this is a general question. Yeah, the church, the people, right. With that in mind, what could we assume Peter would include in a letter to other Christians? And what could we assume Peter would not include based on this fact? Talk about Jesus. Instead of? Evil. No. He's being sent by Jesus, so that's what Jody said. He's going to talk about Jesus instead of talking about himself. Right, so you don't get Peter, an apostle, who was called by Jesus as a fisherman, and then saw all these things. and Because if you were to describe everything about himself, this letter would have no end. And they'd be like, well, why did he send the letter if it's just going to be an autobiography? So, a lot of people... Um, biblical commentators say, well, this letter can't be by Peter because there's not enough talking about himself. It's to be by somebody else. And then people say, well, why would he talk about himself if this is a letter that is by an apostle sent by Jesus? Why would he talk about himself? If the goal of being an apostle is to talk about Jesus, this is exactly what Peter is doing. Um, it's like a pastor who's called and ordained and goes to preach and then just talks about himself. Like, well, that's not why he was called or ordained. He wasn't called or ordained to talk about himself. He was called and ordained to talk about Christ and the gospel. The same thing here. Um, so when he, when he says, hey, I'm an apostle, he's not saying just, hey, I'm an apostle, I learned from Christ. Christ called me. He's saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I have all this good news. I was sent by somebody. Nobody is self-appointed apostle. Apostles always, right? So uh, just this first verse already tells you that he's not there to blabber on about himself, but rather an apostle of whom? Right there on the first verse. Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so... That answers a couple of those, those two questions. What could we assume Peter would include? So what would he include? I mean, we, already, we just talked about what he would not include. So what would he include? He's including like, in the next uh, verse, like who he's being sent to. Who he's what being sent to, exactly. Yeah, that's very good. What else? We sort of asked uh, this question last week. What would, uh, what would he include? That's right. Jesus' life, right? This is who Jesus was. This is what he did. And most importantly, not just what he did, but what he did 
for us, for you. Boom, that's Peter's letter right there from beginning to end. Death and resurrection of Jesus, and guess what? It was for you. And then it's instruction on how do you live your life now? Yeah, so uh, point number three here, recipients. I gave you a map. We'll have, hopefully everybody got a map. Are there any extra maps laying around? No, we got some new people coming in. Um, so for the recipients, um, so the beginning of the letter says, to those who are elect exiles of the diaspora, we already talked about what that kind of meant last week, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You might say, hey, where are those places? It's good to know. I don't want to spend too much time on where those places are, but I did give you a nice map that tells you exactly where all that is. Um, and I like this map quite a bit because it gives you just about all of the places in the New Testament yeah. are kind of, yeah, it's a very nice map. I, uh, I didn't make it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I say that. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the towns and a lot of the regions, you might say, I have no idea what that town is all about. Because it's like, for example, might not be a specific big town in the Bible. But there are places here that are big places uh, in biblical literature. Uh, can you see some of them? Yeah. Say again? Ephesus. Ephesus, that's right. Ephesus is um, right in the yellow, in the, uh, in the western part of that yellow region. What else do you see that's very big? Corinth. Anything else? Thessalonica. Patmos. Yeah. Jerusalem. That's right. Um, yeah, so all of those places are fairly known, right? You have Philippi. Uh, you said Thessalonica. You have um, Athens. Philippi, but then when you look at the yellow, those are regions that are not normally, not, not normally, they're not as talked about, let's say, in Pauline letters or in the Gospels. These are later evangelized regions in the, uh, in the yellow. And they're not towns, so here Peter isn't specifically writing in his letter to a town called Corinth, to a town called Ephesus. Um, I say towns, but they're big cities. Uh, rather, he's writing to regions. So you see right there those um, yellow regions. Asia, Galatia, Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia. Um, and uh, for 200 points, what, uh, what country is that today? Turkey, Turkey yeah. So uh, it was a lot of things from the Eastern Roman Empire to the Ottoman Empire to one thing or another, and today it is Turkey. Um, but that's what he's writing to. Um, in that region, what uh, towns do you see that Paul mentions, for example, or, or regions? Ephesus, that's right. Galatia is a big one, right? Letter to the Ephesians, letters to the Galatians, a big one. Um, so there is some uh, overlap. Of course, Antioch, yes. So 
Smyrna, yeah. Writing to like you said, like a specific city, like Corinth or something. Like I kind of picture this letter going there and then being read at the church where so many of these people are. Uh -huh. But when he's covering so many regions like this, I guess how does he assume this will be delivered? That's right. Yeah. Well, there was a copy machine, and it might have been you at that <laughs> congregation. Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. The type, uh, remember how we described this letter last week? It's a what letter? Circular letter. And it doesn't mean that, um, it doesn't have to do with the content. It has to do with, well, it goes here and then there, and then it circulates. But there is a person who either copies it, memorizes the whole thing, or both. So it stays. So it stays after the you know it goes to the other, uh, the other church. So that's exactly how it uh, gets around. There was another map that I was uh, that I thought of using, and it had a theory of where it went first and then where it went second, how it circulated. But you can if you type in First Peter map, First Peter epistle map on Google, you'll see that one with arrows and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't lose my train of thought here, but um, we stopped at this map. Who is receiving this letter? Is it a specific church? Uh, one of the things we talked about last week is that Peter does not address very, very, very pinpoint specific problems in individuals like Paul does, right? We talked about Paul addressing some um, issues about relationships and forgiveness in specific people in specific communities. Peter does not hone in to specific individuals like in Paul's letter here and there. Yeah. Is that because he didn't go start these churches whereas Paul was like helping That's a very good people. Yeah. You know, he could probably correspond with others. Exactly. Peter is just saying like generally is he was in that's right. Uh, so Peter actually says here, um, we're going to get to that. Um, it is in verse 12 uh, of chapter 1. He says, it was revealed to them, now to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. He's not saying, I preach the good news to you, right? So exactly. So Peter makes it clear here that he's not writing. We talked about this last week as well. Converting people, saying, here's a letter for you to be converted. He's saying, no, no, you guys are Christians. You guys have been uh, catechized. We talked about this possibly being a baptismal sermon, right? So there are people who went through catechesis and are now going to be baptized. Uh, so these people have a good idea of what, um, who Jesus is. Uh, so yeah, so he doesn't write... Um, he didn't start these churches. That was your point, right? He doesn't know Sue and what Sue's issues is. And then when Paul leaves and Sue stays behind, he's still in communication with people who know Sue to talk about how Sue is due. And then he can write back, hey, Sue. Like, because that is in some of the other letters, but not in First Peter. Um, there's a uh, fun little thing here in this map. There's a, a town um, 
in the Asia part of uh, that region. And uh, it's called Laodicea. You guys see that? Laodicea. Paul writes a letter to Laodicea. He himself says, I wrote a letter to Laodicea. It's one of the letters that we don't have. So just a fun fact. So he says, I, you know, there's a letter to Laodicea and hasn't been uncovered yet. So, you know, fingers crossed. No. <laughs> uh, so, because uh, right at, under Laodicea, you have Colossae, right? Colossians, right? Uh, right under that town. So this map is fun for you to look at and just put in your mind where everything is. But let's keep going with, uh, with our points here. So the recipients, is it a specific church? We talked about no, it's not a specific city's church like Antioch or Corinth. Um, how does this letter differ from Galatians or Romans? I didn't mean that in a very specific way. Well, Galatians, you know, he's talking, or Romans. I meant exactly what we just said. In Romans, he's uh, addressing a specific church with very specific needs. Same thing with Galatians. But what's very important about Galatians and Romans, let's say in the Lutheran world, um, or just in biblical studies, what is Lu Lu uh, Galatians and Romans known for? What do we use that to teach? Christian living, but I think there's even more before Christian living. That whole sola fide, right? This is how you are justified by God. Justification through faith. Paul is nailing that down in Romans and in Galatians to these churches before he goes to talk about other things because they need to know this. They need to know that they are justified by faith in Jesus. In a way, Peter assumes that these folks knows, know this. In, his, in this first letter. He's not going to spend all this time in justification because these people have been preached to already. Um, it would be like me coming in here in a way and assuming you know nothing about the Christian faith or who Jesus is. Trying to start from the beginning, you guys are like, well, thanks, this is nice, but could we get a little bit more Information, And I think this is what Peter is doing. Peter knows that these people are Christians or knows that they've been catechized. Um, and so that's why we don't get a lot of justification talk as we get in Romans or in Galatians. So in the other side, just to finish this other side, the one with all the lines, who are they? Where are these places? Well, we just answer that with this map. Um, Last week, we talked about them being Jews. I don't want to limit the audience to just Jews. Because, for example, in the letter, he famously says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you were not chosen, but now you are chosen. So you get these phrases that are like, well, is he talking about is he talking to Gentiles, Gentiles who didn't feel like they were chosen or didn't feel like they were the people of Israel, but now they are a people because they've been grafted, Pauline talk, grafted into Christ? So there are places that you're like, well, no, but Peter was an apostle to the Jews. We talked about that. Paul talks about that. Uh, but we get these lines that makes us think, well, maybe it was a mixed population. Maybe they were Jews, 
and maybe there are Greeks. I mean, Greek, uh, Jews and Gentiles together. So I don't want to pin down this is a letter for a Jewish Christian population uh, or only a Gentile population because when you read his letter, you start hearing these lines that um, can make us understand that there are both uh, in, in the congregations. Um, a Catholic epistle. What does this mean? It sort of goes with the word um, circular letter, a Catholic epistle. So what does the word Catholic mean? You guys remember that? Cath, holos, universal, uh, everybody, everybody's included. Yeah, so Catholic epistle just means it's for a lot of people. Again, it's not just for one person. Um, like, for example, Philemon is not under the Catholic epistle category because it's not for the whole church. It's for meaning it wasn't sent to um, the whole church, sent to a specific person. Um, I have that question, what kind of connections may we expect to see in this letter in the 21st century? But I think I'm going to skip that and go right to... Um, the session two, because then we'll get, we'll jump right into the text. Let's do that. Which, Priest Kristen. Which, which language did, uh, did you talk? Who, Peter? Ah, oh, Krista, all these are the difficult questions. Which language did Peter um, talk or write in? Well, he didn't say write, he said talk. Um, that's been debated, honestly. Uh, and I don't want to come down hard on one way or the other, because I'm not smart enough. But um, there's good evidence that folks might have known both Greek and Aramaic, Greek as the language of commerce and Aramaic as your hometown language or your regional language. Um, there's good evidence that this was written in Greek because we found no evidence saying, no, it was written in Aramaic and then it was translated into Greek. Um, so what language did he speak? I'll go with both for sure. Greek and, I mean, this guy's a business owner, right? There's a lot of commerce going around. Um, so that's, uh, that's, my final answer is both of them for 200 points. So let's look at this, uh, this session two. Um, long time ago, far away, I found this quote, um, by a Polish nun. I don't know where I found it. I know where I was, but I don't know what I was doing when I found it. In difficult times, I will fix my gaze upon the silent heart of Jesus stretched on the cross. And from the exploding flames of his merciful heart will flow down upon me power and strength to keep fighting. St. Faustina. Um, I didn't write that there just for fun, uh, because I want us to make connections to Jesus giving power and strength to these Christians in these letters, in this letter, to keep living in the life that they are, in the situations that they are, which I want to argue is not tremendously different from the church in the 21st century. Um, but I want to get into more specifics in that later. So let's go with this introduction. Um, 1 Peter 1, 
1 and 2. We already read this, but let's, um, let's do it again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter's not writing this letter to a specific congregation. He's writing to various churches with the intent that the letter circulates among those churches. What key doctrinal statement is Peter making in the second verse? This is a, it's already a bold move by Peter. What statement is that? He doesn't say the word, but he says enough about it for us to say, oh, he's talking about the what? The Trinity, that's right. He's already saying God the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ. This is a, a bold move because, again, he's assuming these people know that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not saying this is exactly who they are and what they do. He's just saying, no, God the Father chose us. God the Spirit sanctifies us. And we're saved by Jesus and the sprinkling of his blood. I love that phrase. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful greeting. I want to keep going and um, reading, if that's all right. This next phrase is a well-known phrase among, this is the thing, we get Jewish phrases, we get phrases like he's talking to the Gentiles. The next phrase is very, very, very Jewish. Uh, on verse 3, blessed be God the Father. Blessed are you, God of heaven and earth. That phrase is, again, you see it in a lot of Jewish um, prayers. Creator of the universe. Blessed, blessed. Started with that. Called the Barakah, the blessing. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold or silver that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's so much in this 
verse in, in, this, in this introduction. He's just, he's just going. He's not expecting to stop and say, hold on, can you explain? He already has the understanding that folks know what he's talking about. They know who Jesus is. They know he died. They know he's resurrected from the dead. They know that he's the one who caused them to be born again through the resurrection. To an inheritance, and again, this is so poetic. In, uh, in the Greek, in verse 4, the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading all start with this A. A, ah, 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 ah. And this, it just rings so beautifully. Kept in heaven for you. So I put in, in point two here. These verses serve initially to serve as a reminder for the recipients. What are they being reminded of? In the verses that we just read, what are they being reminded of? They're saved. They're saved by... Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not through... Their, their, works. their works or themselves but now think about this region where you have Gentiles and other religions going on or, or sacrifices or other gods there's a lot of things to tick off to how you're not saved right by reading this it's not just you're saved through this it's you're not saved through a bunch of other things that these people are being um, exposed to or have been exposed to or have lived in uh, if we think that way. I just want to read before we go to the next question 11 through 12. I mean t uh, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the one that I just talked about, the prophets way back ago who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look for. This is beautiful. This is so beautiful. Because what, who does he start in the beginning talking about? And who does he end at the end talking about? Who does he start? Who are the people he first mentions in that chunk of text that we just read? The prophets, who are way back ago, right? Moses, and Elijah, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah. Who are these people actually talking about when they're writing the prophets? Who are they pointing to? And then who does he end with? The angels. Very interesting. He starts and ends. Who does, now this is, if this doesn't make you feel special, I don't know what does, but who does Peter say that the prophets were working for? 
not for, but who were the prophets working to benefit? For whose benefit? The churches, right? This is what's so beautiful. He's saying, hey man, they weren't just writing for writing's sake. They're writing for you, so you know about this. These aren't lost documents that we don't think about anymore. Oh, it was 4,000 years ago. We don't have to think. Like, no, no, no. They were writing for you. Did they get to see Jesus? Absolutely not. Right? Did these folks get to see Jesus? No, the folks that Peter's talking to. Right? He says, though you do not see him, you... Oh, love him. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, but then he says, all of this good news was preached to you by the Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look for. What are these things that angels long to look for? Or long to look, not look for. What do we have that angels don't? Maybe this is cheating, but I had a note in my Bible from a former First Peter study that happened here. And it said the angels long to look. They don't understand salvation because they don't need it. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's the answer. You got to have the joy of receiving the good news from preaching. You got to be dead and now alive. You got to be lost and now found. The angels did not experience that. This is what you have that they don't. Things that angels long to look. There's a professor at, my, uh, at the seminary, and he made this connection. And it's, it could be a stretch, but it is a beautiful stretch. What was on the Ark of the Covenant? No, don't worry, don't, don't, don't answer. Uh, let me ask a better question. What was the Ark of the Covenant? In a simple three-word answer. Presence of God. Presence of God. Ark of the Covenant, right there. What was on the Ark of the Covenant? Angels. Angels looking at the presence of God. Angels long to look. Again, he made this connection. He's not saying Peter is thinking about this exactly. But there's this imagery of the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant and then angels above it looking down. Uh, and this connection to what Peter is saying. I think it's beautiful. Somebody have their hand up want to say something? Yeah, Martha. I was just Martha. about the angels. You know, when we think about the trials that they kind of refine us our faith gets us through those, Christ's love for us, all that. Even though it doesn't always feel that way at the time, it's a gift to have those, go through those, see faith in action, see God's love in action as we, you know, get to see these gifts from God. So the angels don't have that. That's I mean, right. You know, I think of angels as, oh, how wonderful, and, you know. <laughs> Killing dragons or something. <laughs> sad for all the suffering and all the things yeah. that we do, yeah. and we endure that, and then we receive, you know, Christ's love and gifts that we can then go and share with others. Yeah. Yeah. 
just kind of a bonus. What you just said is, is so great because in this short introduction that we've read from verse 3 to verse uh, 12, he talks about, in verse 6, rejoicing, and then he talks about it again in verse 8, in him and rejoice with joy. So he talks about this life of peace and grace and joy. And what's in the middle? In verse 6 again, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He throws in this trials things, which is going to be a huge part of this letter later. So he gives this little hint. Wait a minute, but he's talking about all this good news. Now he's talking about trials. I thought it was going to be all good and fun, always. But he's very realistic, grieved by various trials. But then you're going to be tested for the genuineness of your faith, which he's going to talk about later in beautiful imagery, how your faith is tested. So in point two here again in our um, handout, I put this question, number one, and I've heard other pastors at this congregation talking exactly about this uh, point, number one. How does remembering and faith, or how do remembering and faith go together? This is a, uh, just think about that for a second, if you have not thought about it before. Say it in ten words or less a little louder. <laughs> if, if we could see Jesus and he was present with us, we wouldn't need to remember him because he was right there. And so that's why we have to have faith because he's not right there. Yeah. Anybody else have thought about this before? Faith and remembering? I'm going to use a very, very secular example. Why do we go to our favorite restaurant? You remember how good it was. So then you have that. Yeah. And, um, and you know, there is such a strong connection here. We have faith in somebody because we remember how faithful they have been whether it's a good restaurant whether it's a son or daughter or friend or husband or wife and peter is using the same method here he's saying look at everything jesus has done he died and he rose I mean, he's just storytelling now, right? Died and rose, yeah, okay, we know that. 
So he's always taking care of you. Why would it be different? Yeah. So he's giving you us that memory of what happened in the past. So we have that faith. Now, people who don't have good memories... And I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you forgetting something, or, or worse, actually having an issue. You know, something uh, more serious. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, if you're a person who doesn't remember what people have done for you, sometimes you're not very trustworthy. You don't have a lot of faith. Um, if you just assume that, if you just go living life assuming that people owe you something. Instead of saying, no, 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 I remember how good they were to me. Um, then you begin that faith relationship, that trust relationship. And uh, Luther talks a lot about trust. Um, I don't want to get too much into this, but uh, yeah, he almost has an exchange between these words, faith and trust. Trust something that you can hold on to, uh, like we trust that we know what trust is um, in our everyday life. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I put uh, in 2 2, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. I don't want to summarize everything Peter just said in verses 3 to 12. But if I were to summarize everything he just said with another biblical verse, that's the one I would choose. The Lord has done all these things, and we are glad for it. I just love that. So over the centuries, the church has used different methods of reminding itself, herself, uh, of God's grace toward her. What are some of those ways? What are some of those, uh, what are some ways which we can daily remind ourselves of God's favors there for strengthening our faith? What are things we should do or do daily um, to remember what God has done so we can be glad? Read the Word. Read, precisely, read the Word. Yeah. Hey, I forgot. You know, let me go back. Yeah. What else? Surround ourselves with believers. I didn't bring Milena's bag that she made for me. Uh, we have this, uh, I'll bring it next week maybe if I remember, it's upstairs. Uh, it's a saying from our home state in Brazil, and it's, É junto dos bons que ficamos melhor. And it means, it's hanging out with the good ones that you become better, right? And I love that, I love that. And I don't think the, origi the, the, the original maker of this phrase or whatever meant for it to be applied in a Christian context, but it's so true in the Christian church. It's with the good chosen people in the church that you become better. When you pull yourselves apart, there's a good chance that you're not going to have the communion of saints, right? It is here that we learn, that we remember, that we hear, that we read. Yeah, excellent. Uh, what other ways are we... Um, Prayer. That's right. Yeah. Because what do you do in prayer? What are the two big things that you do in prayer? I don't want to categorize prayer, but... When you talk to God, you generally do what? Thank or... Or ask. That's right. Supplications. That's right. 
really thank. So when you thank him, you're saying, man, thanks for all the beautiful stuff you've done. Look at all this. Look at all I have. Look at all my friends have. Look at what my church has. Thank you for all of this. And you're at the same time asking because you know that he's a provider. You know that he's done all this. So it's a constant reminder of what God has done and does. And it's a direct relationship to your faith. Yeah. What are other things that we daily do? I mean, I don't want to have an exhaustive list here, Holly. I don't know if we haven't said it it's so obvious, but the Eucharist, you know, part of coming together is partaking with Him. Yeah, daily Eucharist here. Yeah, if Jesus says He's going to be there, I'm going to be there too. Yeah, because I want to be with Jesus. That's right. That's right, a practice of gratitude, Leah's saying. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I think people, and again, people who remember where they were, where they are now, are generally humble people uh, if they understand that it wasn't through their efforts that they're here now, right? And I think that is, that is one of the things that Peter addresses directly in his letter is, hey man, you weren't and now you are. You're a royal priesthood. You're now uh, a chosen nation, he says chosen race and none of that was through your doing he says that in chapter 2 2 9 where he says now you get to declare the excellencies of him who called you you were in darkness you were blind now you live in his marvelous light so peter doesn't want everything in his letter too is a constant reminder hey man and, and the reminder is what you do to christians right because when you go to a a pagan, a Gentile, and you say, hey man, remember where you were and now where you are? They're like, what are you talking about? I'm still a Gentile. Right? I'm talking about non-converted people. I'm talking about somebody who's not in the church. That doesn't make sense for them. They're like, well, I was and I still am. But no, when you're talking to a Christian, you get to say, look what you were and look what God has yeah. done for you. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? That's how he starts. Hey man, I'm an apostle for Jesus. I wasn't, and now I am. I wasn't called, and now I am. And he continues this through his letter. You weren't, and now you are. We're all in this together. And we are too today in Christ's church. We have these beautiful gifts that Christ gives us to strengthen our faith even though we might suffer various trials. We rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So in B, that might be a... Let's see how, uh, how far we get, if we can get to the end of the page. And if we don't, that's beautiful. I would be happy just getting to be here. Um, what are the actual big important things that Peter reminds them of? And it's not just one thing. Um, 
Well, I did put the most important thing that Peter reminds them of, and I think that's obvious. But how does he do it? I want you to uh, talk about specific ways that uh, in those verses that we read, 3 to 12, what is the most important thing Peter reminds these people of? And you can pick whatever verse because he says the same thing a couple of different um, times in, very, in different ways. I like that he's given us new verse. Were you going to say one? I was going to say nine as well, but I mean, you could also say an inheritance. An inheritance. Um, now, we know this because uh, one of this church's favorite uh, parables is the Good Samaritan. Not the Good Samaritan, sorry. Uh, that one too. But um, the prodigal son. What has to happen for an inheritance to be given? Somebody has to die, um, and the person who receives it does what to receive it? Nothing. Nothing. So right here, inheritance, you've received this. You've done nothing. It's yours. Rejoice. The Lord has done good things. Rejoice in it. And what is the inheritance? The most beautiful words, right? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What else? Do we have anything else in here that we, uh, we can use? Protected. 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I limited it to verse 3, but verse 2, right? It starts there. The foreknowledge of God. Sanctification in the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling with His blood. Uh, what's this an allusion to? Again, sorry, I'm going to keep going back and forth between he's sending this to Jews, he's sending this to Gentile Christians, because there is language for both. So what's this language, sprinkling with blood? Is that Jewish language or is that Gentile language? Oh, you could say both. Actually, as I'm asking the question, you could say both. But I would say it's, it's, it's fairly, why? What's, uh, what's the whole sprinkling blood thing? Jews sacrificed, and then the priest sprinkled the blood on the altar. That's right. Not just on the altar, but on the people themselves. Right? They stood outside the temple. Sprinkling could allude to baptism. That's right. Sprinkled. Yeah. Uh, In fact, did I... Ooh, I don't have the... the, When I... uh, When I baptized the kid this past Sunday, I think that line might have been in the, in the baptismal rite. I have to double check the sprinkling. Um, but, yeah, hundreds of thousands of people stood outside the temple. And the priest would come, having sprinkled the blood on the altar. Yeah, the blood, of, and so he would just douse the people with the blood saying, you, this is the sign of the forgiveness of your sins. So when Peter here says, sprinkled with Jesus' blood, uh, we don't see that in the, in the gospel narratives, right? Like we don't, it doesn't say that uh, uh, Mary 
and Mary Magdalene and John. It doesn't say that they were standing under the cross. I mean, that's not, that didn't happen in that sense. Uh, but Peter here is now making this connection of Jesus' blood. Yeah, that was sprinkled onto you. And that's what the sacrifice was for. He's making these beautiful connections. Um, what did you say, Holly? The centurion was. That's right. Yeah. Uh, maybe next week I'll bring a picture of. Um, there's some Reformation um, paintings. Uh, I think by Albert Durer, perhaps. Oh no, Cranach. Uh, which you have Jesus here on the cross. It's going to be the worst drawing, but I'll just quickly because they took this verse very seriously. So you have Jesus here, and then you have, um, I don't know if you, have, if you have seen this. Then you have a crowd of people here. Sometimes they're biblical figures, and sometimes they're like real people from that day, together in one picture. Right? So here you have like John the Baptist. Um, here you might have Adam and Eve. And then here, you have like the local prince from down the street. And here you might have Luther or Bugenhagen or something like that. Then you have Jesus right here on the cross with his side open. And it's going right onto the head, the stream of blood going into the head, onto the head of this guy who's just standing there. And uh, so when we read this verse, sprinkled with his blood, you know, I think about that painting sometimes, uh, and it's, it's talking about this. It's talking about uh, this is the way we're saved, period, by the sprinkling of Jesus' blood and the trust that we have in him. Um, so let's stop there today. Um, we talked about a good number of things. Next week, we'll definitely continue this. I won't give you, I don't think, anything new. If I give you something new, it'll be uh, a map or a picture or something like that. But it won't be uh, a session three one, I think. Um, so let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.